On R2C2, CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco guide listeners through everything going on in the MLB, NBA, and NFL. They also talk to friends, athletes, and celebrities about the world of sports and much more. Check out R2C2 with CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. Arby's better not catch you slacking on snacking with their new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps. And your choice of ranch, barbecue, honey, mustard, and a bonus flavor called Incredible Value. You can't taste it, but boy, is it sweet. Arby's two for five dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Welcome to The Answer, where we usually like to dig into a question lurking around the NBA, but this week, for probably the first time in a long time, we exist in the strange liminal space of actually having an answer. I'm not sure how much longer this will last, but while we're here, we're going to talk about the Bucks, and we're going to talk about Giannis, who dropped a 50-piece in Game 7. That's 50-5-0, the same amount of chicken nuggets that he later ordered. Um... We have, we have, we don't have Chris, we don't have Chris today for you guys. Uh, he is on vacation, but I'm very excited, but because we have two of my favorite chroniclers of really anything, uh, but especially the NBA and especially, especially the Bucks. So without further ado, we have, we have Rob Mahoney who will be co-hosting the podcast with me today. Uh, he is in the, the enviable position of being able to say, I told you so. Um, we will see if he has the grace, if he has the grace, the lack of ego, as, as Giannis would put it, uh, to not look at the past and just focus on the present moment here. Uh, let's find out. And I'm also very excited to say we have Mirren Fader here, who just so happened to write a book about Giannis. Um, she posted an excerpt of that at theringer.com. You can read that there. You can also go to longform.com and click it from there if you would like to do that, uh, because that's just that's just you know how Mirren does her thing. We are so glad to have you, have you both. Thanks for having us, Jared. This is so exciting. I feel like all of us in one space. It's usually us just like nerding out about basketball and writing separately. So I'm mm-hmm. very happy we're doing this. Uh, Mirren, Mirren, how are you feeling? I feel. Good. I feel crazy. I am shocked. I'm like very happy. I have like secondhand glow for Bucks people. I feel mm-hmm. happy for them. It's been such a long time coming and just to see the joy that they have and finally feeling seen and respected by people. Um, it's just, it's awesome. I do want to put you on the spot on one thing, Marin. As as the Bucks are winning the title, as the, the celebration is unfolding, I'm sure you're keeping a close eye on what's going on on TV and on social media and stuff. What is one little piece of that celebration that stood out to you? 
I mean, I just, the sheer amount of people, you know, that are just out and have been out. I think that for so many years, the perception from people not from Milwaukee is like, just being so um, rude and dissing them, just be thankful you have a team, you know, who cares about Milwaukee? They just act like these fans aren't proud and loud and existent. And so it's just been so awesome seeing them out in full force and having their their celebration and their joy uh, for all of us to see. It's It's really sweet. Miran, I want your I want your favorite fan moment from all the stuff we've seen. Um, there was a video um, that came out, and this little girl um, was in like a signing line for Giannis, and she drew him something. And Giannis comes around and gives her the most tender hug ever, and she looks, you know, so tiny in his arms. It reminds me of the. Monsters Inc. little cute hug. <laughs> and I just, I'm just melting as I see this. And um, I, I just loved it. I think Milwaukeeans have fallen in love with Giannis for so many years, but it is very interesting and cool to see people falling in love with Giannis for the first time. This is the first time they're watching him. This is the first time they're seeing that he has a charismatic personality in addition to the dominance on the court. And that's fascinating to me. Not only did that girl draw him something, she had like a whole portfolio she gave him. Like that, <laughs> oh. there, there was a whole dossier of like, I mean, one can only assume drawings and journal entries or whatever it was was in that folder. But it was it was adorable. Look, she came ready. She knows that Giannis is about work ethic. She came ready to roll. <laughs> She's not coming in with a weak <laughs> portrait. OK, <laughs> she got him where he lived. That's for sure. <laughs> Giannis has this like ultimate gratitude it feels like for like pretty much every single thing that he encounters in the NBA like even even all of his his failures and stuff or like the stuff that set him back he looks at and he's like well I want to find a way to make this fun like oh I'm going to be humiliated at the free throw line or not necessarily humiliated that's I think what a lot of other people would call it right like just the counting and the attention that he got um he was like well this this is interesting and the fans are having fun and I guess I just have to live with it uh Miriam where does that come from like he just he just rolls with the punches yeah, I think growing up, Giannis was not afraid to laugh at himself. He's always been a funny person. He was the tag-along kid brother to Thanasis. You know, Thanasis was known as the good basketball player. Giannis was the scrub. So, you know, from an early age, nobody crowned him king. Nobody was like, you deserve. Nobody was like, you're the best. You can't get arrogant when you just haven't been dubbed a superstar as a lot of kids in America are at age 13, you know? So Giannis gets to develop his skill set and also just be comfortable in his own skin as he rises through Greece and in America, and he doesn't have the pressure of having to perform immediately because he joins a team that has won 15 games. So, you know, I think that what's going to rattle you when people are counting at the free throw line when you've gone through so many obstacles already before that? This was such a weird time and such a weird season, but I think part of the reason why people gravitated towards Giannis in this moment and toward the Bucks winning the way that they did was because of that, because of who he is more so than the small market stuff or the Milwaukee piece of it or how unlikely this champion might have been. There's just something so resonant about him in that moment being so purely unabashedly himself and so absolutely thrilled. It was just incredible to watch. Like I, I don't think we get many moments of like like that in the NBA when 
there's just a cynicism that floats over the sport a lot of times, especially for us, us uh, those of us on the writing side, people can get a little jaded about seeing champion after champion, story after story. But there's something about Giannis's that really sticks out. And that's what popped from this excerpt from your book, Mary, and why I can't, read, I can't wait to read the rest. It's just there's something about his personality that just grabs you. Yeah, I have uh, one of my friends is uh, was just over right now, and I'm gonna sound like 40 when I say this. I'm not, but I'm also terrified of getting a TikTok addiction, so I don't have it on my phone. Apparently, Giannis is just all over TikTok right now, you guys, um, yeah. because oh, he is—he does have like these little. <laughs> first of all, there's a post-game co- uh, podium quotes, but then like there was a moment um, after after the game where he's FaceTiming Miran. Do you know who he's FaceTiming? I do not know which it, there's been many FaceTimes. There's the, the NASA's FaceTime. There's a whole lot going on. There's of course the Chick-fil-A FaceTime. I don't know which FaceTime. It looked like he was like gesturing someone to come yeah. down to the floor or something like that. Oh okay. yeah. It looked not like, it NASA. looked like he wanted his family there, right? Like whether it was his, his, his wife and kids or, or maybe it was Sinassis. Um, although Sinassis would have been there as a member of the team, I guess, right? Like on the on the stage. He was in uh, he was in COVID protocols though. Oh right. Right. Maybe right. it was right. break the okay. protocols, come to the floor. Yeah, yeah. But there was that one, which I mean that just kind of shows you like, you know, he had just w- had this incredible moment. Um and, and the man who was always present was somehow not that present in the moment because he wanted his family there, which I mean that's that seems like a really major theme in your book, and that's something I want to get to as well. But in general, like there are so many of these moments of Giannis that are coming out now that are just incredible. He is such a charismatic person. Um, we're going to talk about his press conferences later, uh, but he's out there now, and I think it's it's really interesting. And he is there is something that's that's different about him, um, and different. I mean, di- different is interesting, right? Because different can mean we're just naturally we're drawn to novelty it can also mean we're maybe making some some comparisons that maybe we shouldn't be making um Mirren, in your story there was a part where jared dudley says unlike americans he had no ego he was always that guy that didn't care about getting dunked on i respected him for that i respected his hunger i thought that was really interesting because it gets at something that's obviously true about Giannis but I wanted to kind of unpack like this conversation it seems like is going on about like international players versus versus American players yeah I mean when Giannis was growing up in addition to not having ego he also publicly displayed emotions so that was one of the most interesting things I found in in reporting my book is that Giannis at like 16 17 years old if he's dissatisfied with his performance he would openly start crying on the bench and you know and it was so fascinating because he gets to Milwaukee and Robert Hackett the strength coach of the Bucks tells me that he would just see Giannis tear up on the bench and he had to tell him like you can't cry in the NBA and we were talking about we were talking about cultural differences and how boys and men are raised in America versus internationally. And Robert Hackett was like, I don't know, is that a cultural thing? But I think to the larger point is that Giannis grew up embracing his sensitivity and I would say emotional intelligence. I fully support this. I think it's awesome. And it goes back to what you just said, Sarah, about uh, being humble because Giannis 
always blamed himself if he didn't perform up to standard while he was growing up. It was never, oh, it's that person's fault. It's always internal. And so it does not surprise me that when he gets to the NBA and he continues to rise and rise and rise and play Mm -hmm. at the level he is now, there's just a level of accountability and responsibility that you do see in a lot of European players who are not stuffed in gyms eight hours a day Mm-hmm. across 12 court gyms playing game after game after game they're working on their passing they're working on good sportsmanship there's just a different level of i guess education that they have than that we have yeah man that's that's so interesting because like i think when we talk about this stuff it's a little bit reductive because i think a lot of times fans scouts they care about what some who somebody is as opposed to like what made them that way and then as a result like you know how you can maybe put them in an environment where they can thrive um but being able to blame yourself being able to be vulnerable that's those are learned behaviors and it just seems like with Giannis he was actually able to learn those behaviors in a place that wasn't going to punish him for it like he could cry and that wasn't considered a bad thing or like and that that vulnerability leads you to be able to blame yourself without it feeling like this thing whereas you know American players I just feel like the pressures are different you know um and there's also like you mentioned cynicism I it feels to me tell me if this is true or not like I'm sure that maybe there is some weird stuff going on in Greece like he's obviously he's obviously a a, a very interesting prospect as a basketball player but it seems like maybe he didn't encounter some of like the business side that could make an American player likely to be more cynical, like when they see how much somebody just wants to like buy them when they're 14 years old. Well, exactly because Giannis was not a coveted prospect. I think that's the best part of his story is that he starts playing at 13, doesn't even start regularly playing until age 16. He somehow gets the attention of international NBA scouts because a video circulates about him. They're coming to see him, not because they don't know if he's talented. They're coming to see him because they don't know how good he is. So he is never dubbed like the next whoever. There's no pressure on him. They just want to see what he can do. The pressure he feels is different. It's how can I provide food for my family? How can I move us to America? Um, in, in one of the chapters about Atlanta's interest in Giannis, um, I chronicle this secret meeting um, in Italy between Atlanta staffers and Giannis and his agents. And they're in this like really shoddy basement. The lights are dim. Everyone's paranoid that people can see it. And this staffer told me that one of the things that Giannis expressed to them was that I want my whole family to come to the U.S. And I want my brothers to get an education and I want them to go to college. So again, there's just like a different focus and a mindset um, from him and his circumstances and where he's coming from than a lot of kids in the U.S. who are like, am I on this ranking list? Am I on this ranking list? Am I going to be here? What tournament are we at? Like, it's just, it's a completely different mindset. That's where it gets complicated for me because you have these overarching cultural differences that are really well articulated from the AAU system to the international, uh, you know, institutes of sport and things like that. There's clear contrast there. But as you laid out, Mirren, just the fact that he was so underscouted for so long and not on the radar for so long makes his story unique from a Ricky Rubio or a Luka Doncic, these guys who were in professional systems from the time they were teenagers. So, you know, I, 
my natural instinct is to push back against the Jared Dudley type quotes, the idea that like, oh, you know, because he's an international player, he doesn't have ego in the same way American players do. Because I think that comes from his story, not from growing up in Europe. It comes from his exact circumstances. It comes from Mm -hmm. exactly who he was. Because you just can't convince me that Pau Gasol didn't come here with ego, that Drazen Petrovic didn't come here with ego. Like those players are proud players. There's just something about... Again, if you are un- if you are under the radar, if you have to kind of stake your claim on the map the way Giannis did, you're just going to have a different mentality and a different temperament. And keep in mind that Giannis was humble, but he also had a bit of spice to him. He was always, you know, rookie year, he would go around and introduce himself to teammates. I'm the Greek freak. I'm going to average 20 and 10 next year. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be an all-star. I'm going to be in Milwaukee for the next 20 years. So, you know, Rob, you're absolutely right. Like in no way ever do I want to suggest that, you know, international players, humble American players, uh, arrogant, like, of course not. And there's so many humble, um, American players that we see. Um, but yes, Giannis was always keenly aware of who was the superstar at the time and how he wanted to be better than them. And he took it personally when he went against Kevin Durant, he took it personally when he went against LeBron James and those guys are like, okay, but who are you? You know, like Carmelo, <laughs> Carmelo Anthony and Giannis going against each other rookie year was just so funny because Giannis is talking smack to Carmelo Anthony. And I interviewed Carmelo for the book and Carmelo was like, I just kept looking at him like, OK, you know, like he, he's really competitive, like he really wants it. So, yes, we're talking about the humility, but there's also that bit of fire in him that's like, no, I got this. That's a, that's that's really interesting because uh, the other thing he was doing in his his second year, and this was in your excerpt, was he was saying he was basically just like not accepting the notion that he would be the Robin um, to to Jabari Parker, which in hindsight, yeah, you know, I think he was onto something <laughs> there. Um, but at the time, nobody nobody knew who Giannis could be, and Jabari Parker was the number two pick in the draft, and was also, I mean, we're talking about these contrasts, right? Like. Jabari Parker was a star from the time. Like, I I knew who Jabari Parker was like from the time that I think he was like a I don't know like fifteen sixteen years old, right? Um, and he came in being that dude, right? Like he was he was from very nearby Chicago. There were a lot of people in Milwaukee that were excited about him at the time, and like for Giannis to have that. That was one of the most illuminating things in your story because that is not a Giannis story that we often hear, right? Like that is the opposite of of all the stuff that we're getting right now. Um, so two things there. Like I feel like there's this these flagpoles that you often have as an American player or even like somebody like Luka Doncic who grew up watching the NBA where it's like, I'm going to be an all-star. I'm going to be all NBA. I'm going to be MVP. I'm going to be all these things, right? Um, that you don't really necessarily have. And I think we need to also understand like just how like like, think about when you were a kid and the things that, like, you know, society told you to care about, right? We all carry that stuff with us as much as we try not to and, like, we all have our own relationship with it. That is the relationship that a lot of American prospects have with with their the accolades that they feel that the pressure to get. Um, with Giannis, obviously not the case early, but then, you know... You know, started saying things like, I, like you know, what, didn't really necessarily care about the NBA, but then also had this this in him right so how did he kind of figure out like what he needed to be in the nba or what he was supposed to be in the nba and from there also like you know how did he kind of soften out a little bit because it seems like you know he just doesn't seem to be that guy anymore 
Well, I think the first thing is that, you know, Giannis would be the first to say the self-made narrative is completely off base. It took a village to make him into the player that he is. And I think that is one critical difference between a lot of younger guys and the wisdom that Giannis had early. He comes to the Bucks and he has not really seriously weightlifted before. But instead of being ashamed at his shortcomings, he says to Robert Hackett, the strength coach, teach me how to bench press. And the bar is just trembling and Giannis is struggling, but he works and he works and he works. And that's because of the trait that he has as a good listener. So it's not just like internal will. It's not just work ethic. It's being a good listener and having people around you that develop you and and being open enough to be a receptor to that. Josh Oppenheimer and him would shoot very late into the night rookie year. Larry Drew, the coach, he would text him late at night and talk about plays. John Hammond, the GM, would always say to him, you can do this. I believe in you. Anytime Giannis did something, Hammond would be out of his seat squealing, you know, happy for him. This is an organization where every single person did whatever they could to make Giannis better. So I just think it's important to note that, um, that was a huge part of Giannis's growth is all the people that invested in him. Well, and the willingness to listen to those people. And this is where, mm-hmm. you know, again, to Jared Dudley's point, I think there is a lot of truth to the idea of Giannis as this player who has a, at least a different kind of ego than a lot of other NBA players do. It takes a certain kind of ego to be an MVP and give up the ball to your teammates in crucial playoff games. That takes a certain kind of player. And it takes a certain kind of ego to listen to your strength coach, to say, even though I got to the NBA, I need to be overhauled. I need to be changed. I need to be shaped as a person and as a player. That's a lot. That's a lot for an 18-year-old, a 19-year-old coming into the NBA to be able to absorb. Keep in mind, it's not fun when your coach benches you, Jason Kidd, um, and says, sorry, you didn't come with enough intensity uh, I'm sitting you on the bench. I mean, that to me, I'm, I don't know about you, Sarah, but I'm triggered from like high school basketball, like all of this stuff. Uh, you don't, you don't see that in the NBA, you know what I mean? So, um, but for Giannis to just take it and he's seething on the bench, he's like, all right, I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you again. It's like, I'm not happy with this circumstance, but I'm going to listen and I'm going to get better. Um, you could push Giannis because you knew he was going to take it the right way. And no matter how angry he got, he was going to, correct himself, gather himself. Again, that's emotional maturity. We're hearing that so much now when everybody's obsessed with his quotes about ego and wow, he's so wise, but you know, emotional maturity shows up on the court all the time. It's that moment where Giannis is going full speed down court and he thinks Pat has a better shot and he dishes it to Pat. And the ego in Giannis could say, well, let me go for 52. But the but the the basketball player in him, the the humility, the playing the right way is like, no, Pat has a better shot. I trust him. That's leadership. I'm gonna pass the ball. So, you know, it's just so interesting to talk with you guys about all these early moments that we totally see clear correlations to the stuff we're seeing now. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident. It was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 
Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two for five dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two for five dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Another one of those early moments, uh, we talked about this last night, actually, uh, his rookie year. I was listening to the press box uh, and... You mentioned that in his rookie year, he almost quit. So for the people who haven't listened, can you kind of just take us through that? Yeah. So the background on this is that um, I'm sure our listeners can remember how endearing Giannis was and how much he was called adorable his rookie year. So 2013 to 14, he tweets, I taste a smoothie for the first time. Um, He's just this very like goofy, lovable kid. And we're all just falling in love with him, falling in love with America at once. It's the first cult internet sensation, I think, of recent memory I can think of where it's this friend because of this personality. But what people didn't know and what I discovered through my reporting for the book, especially talking with the family, is that he was actually deeply, deeply lonely and sad and lost. And that is because his family was not able to come over with him at first. Um, Their visas got denied twice at one point. Think about sharing a bed, for example, with your brothers all your life. Literally, you are sleeping body to body. And then all of a sudden, you're in a strange country where you don't speak um, perfect English and you're just, it's you in your bed alone. And you don't really know what to do with your free time. You don't know where to go. You haven't really made a whole lot of friends yet. You're lonely. And so, Alex, the youngest brother, told me that Giannis basically said to him, the family, and the agents, if you guys can't come over here, I'm going back to Greece. Um, Because what good is having money and having success if you can't have it with the people that matter most to you? Bars. (laughs) (laughs) I'm done. I'm done. (laughs) I can't follow that. It's all downhill from here. I can't follow it up. It's all downhill from here. I disagree. I disagree. (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) I was just going to say that's such an evocative idea going from it takes a village to raise Giannis to what do you do without your support system when you're stripped of it in those circumstances. He's not the first player to go through this. It's a pretty common story in the NBA, whether you're coming from another continent or just moving across the country, whatever it is. But it's it makes sense that someone would be kind of shaken to their core in that way to question, is this what I really want? when all the people who have put you in that place aren't there to both, you know, for you to share with them and to support you in that time. That's why when players don't perform well and everyone's trying to find like the basketball thing to like 
justify why or like are they injured you know I'm just like the weirdo that's like I wonder what's going on in their personal life (laughs) I wonder I wonder if they called their mom this week I wonder if you know they broke up with their girlfriend like I'm always thinking of like my coaches used to say um when you step on the court, leave everything at the door. And I always thought that was the dumbest thing. <laughs> of course, I can't leave everything at the door. I'm a human being. And so I look at Giannis and I'm like, you know, this person tried his hardest to leave everything at the door. He never let his play um, show that he was sad or lonely. He played hard to the end of the whistle. Like he he brought it that rookie year. You know, he really tried his ass off every game. But it is so clear that there are more factors at hand in somebody's success than just what's going on on the basketball court. And John Hammond, I'll just say lastly, as the GM was very sensitive to this because he was with the Pistons when they had the disastrous Darko Militant pitch. And he's John Hammond told me the one reason among many that he thinks that Darko didn't work out is because there just wasn't family support. And he was 18 years old in a foreign country. And so John was like, we need to do everything in our power to get the family of Giannis to come here because he needs that support system. So, you know, if Giannis gets drafted to a bigger team that didn't look after him in this sort of patriarchal nurturing way, like I, I don't know if he gets the support that he needs. How did they, uh, did the family eventually get to Milwaukee? Yeah, so luckily Milwaukee was owned by a U.S. senator at the time, Herb Cole, and him and his assistant, uh, whose name is Joanne Anton, and they worked tirelessly behind the scenes for months to get them over here. And it is rumored, I talked with some officials in government, that it went as high as the Secretary of State at the time, which was John Kerry. So, uh if Herb Cole is not the senator, I do not know if the family would have got the proper documentation to come over. But um, it's just crazy because his mood completely shifted once the family arrived in America. So what you're saying is Giannis coming here, winning the MVP is a liberal globalist conspiracy, just like all the other conspiracies we've seen over the last year. It's just it's just a way to make it's just a way to make the the NBA less American, even more un-American than it already is. He's an industry he's an industry plant. Like I Lil Nas can't. X. I can't. I can't. Industry baby. <laughs> dropping dro- dropping by the time this podcast is out. <laughs> Whoever on Twitter, don't at me. I don't I don't do social media like that. <laughs> Mir- Save Mirin, yourself. did you Save uh, yourself, yeah, Mirin doesn't ha- actually have Twitter right now. Um <laughs> because she's promoting a book, so she decided I don't want social media. So don't try to find her Twitter. Um no, Mirin, did you interview you John Kerry for this story? No. For this no, book. Did I, you try? I did try. Um I knew very- it. Oh, Very she, hard. Oh, she's so perfect. Um, oh my God. <laughs> I'm, I'm sad. I'm like honest. I feel like I failed. I'm like, why didn't I get the guy? I'm like, being well, he's gonna myself. regret it now. He's gonna regret it now. He's probably like, oh, some all star, whatever. Now it's now he's you know the biggest story ever. Um, Could have been interview two twenty two. Oh my God, Rob, you already know. I I at one point I was like, Mirren, like you have to. Stop. Like you ha- like you have to there's a deadline. You have to meet it. You can't you have to stop. Um but with Giannis, there's just like so many fascinating people behind mm-hmm. the scenes. Mirren, who was who was uh two interview questions and we'll get back to Giannis himself. Um who was the last person you interviewed for the story? 
for the book. Keep saying story. Okay, I swear to God, this is not false. When I um, went on the BS pod, I had 220 interviews and I thought I was done. And then somebody who is very actually integral to this story that I have no idea how I couldn't find them before emailed me and was like, I just listened to you on the pod and I was involved in this part of the story and I'd love to talk. And he became 221. And uh, this person, the subject line was interview 221. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can you, ta- can you tell us who it was? I can't. I can't. Oh, wow. I know. Wow. I know. Secret agent. Um <laughs> <laughs> And when I'm not ner- when I'm not nerding out reading books and trying to write for the ringer and avoiding social media, I'm a secret agent. That's really what it is. <laughs> if there's anybody who could pull it off. Um, who was, what was the, the hardest interview to get? The hardest interview. Other than I'm, I'm sure like Giannis like probably. family. Yeah. Yeah. The heart the hardest interview a deep to cut. get. A deep cut. Um, I would say um I would say his childhood teammate and close friend, his name is Raman Rana. And I didn't know he existed because he only played for Philadelphia's for a little bit. Um, And then I got connected with him super late in the game. I think I had like a month to go before deadline. And so basically this kid lived in Sepolia as well. Um, He, his father had difficulties and, you know, at one point they were making what's the equivalent to like $10 a day or something as a family. And um, Spiros, the guy that spotted Giannis, spotted Rana on the street as he was heading into a store and Rana's six feet tall and Spiros goes, you should play basketball. It's the same thing. So Rana shows up to Shout practice. out Spiros, he, by the way. You know. <laughs> Just none of this happens without Spiros. Spiros. <laughs> And um, (laughs) they get on the court and it's so funny because Rana is the inferior basketball player. Giannis is way better than him, but they like hate each other on the court for some reason. They're just like frenemies, not even frenemies. They're just enemies. But then they actually get to talking one day after practice and, you know, this, the conversations got serious. Oh yeah. My family struggles as well. And then they both started talking about the racism that they experienced um, being in Athens and the different insults that each of them were called. And then they started hanging out like all the time and they realized how much they had in common. And Rana actually has one of my favorite anecdotes in the book. And I realize I'm, I'm drowning on, but I'll just say that, um, Rana, (laughs) Rana, uh, is Muslim. And so when Giannis came to him and said, Hey, do you want to go to my church? The priest often gives food for those of us that don't have any, we can get you a hot plate. Rana's like, I can't, I'm Muslim. Like, I don't know if he'll uh, accept me. Giannis is like, don't worry, I got this. So Giannis is like 14. And again, like the most endearing, like, I got this, bro, don't worry about it. So they go to the church and the priest walks up to them. And Giannis like, is like putting his hand around Rana's shoulder. It's like, Hey, look at my my friend. He's such a good Christian boy. Oh, he's just the best. Like he's just such a good boy. He's just a, you know, really nice guy. Yeah, he's like just such a good Christian. Like can he have some food too? And then the priest just looks at Rana and Rana is losing his shit. He's like, "Oh my god, he's he going to know that I'm not Christian. Oh my god." And then um and then the priest is like, "Okay, here's some souvlaki over there." And so um Giannis is like, "See, you got to trust me, bro." And then I just 
you know, I just love that because Mm -hmm. again, it's the same tinkle. It's the same, you know, Chick-fil-A. He's always been like that. Yeah. um, No ice. No ice in the the (laughs) Chick-fil-A drink order. Half lemonade, half Sprite, which dude, like just like the the, the daughter of an immigrant in me was just like, yes. I just, I gotta respect, I I gotta respect the hustle of trying to get free Chick-fil-A for life from like the random person manning the drive-thru line. Incredible. Do I, Um, do I live under a rock? Is Sprite and lemonade good? Yes. Um, so it's basically just like it, it carbonates your lemonade. Uh, but more than that, I just, I I do live under a rock. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's not so much living under a rock as much as like well you were an athlete growing up and, it, and you're very yeah. I mean as we know you're very disciplined right I imagine you probably right. didn't have enough fat, fast food that you were like let me experiment with these I different, did not, I did not different like sodas it. yeah I will say the one thing the one thing I missed from you know pre-pandemic was like traveling for work and when no matter what airport you're at you're at the Chick-fil-a is open at like 3 a.m mm. and uh I miss that um i'm very i mean i'm just gonna hit you up hit you up after about ramen because seems like a very very interesting person but (laughs) we should probably move move on to Giannis. um so another thing from his rookie year uh another thing of just the way that we saw the moment versus what the moment was actually like uh, I went back and found it, and I'm I'm talking about the time that he was picked up by some random Milwaukee Bucks fans <laughs> in his rookie okay. year, and he was like he he was he was late. He was running to the game, and they gave him a ride to the game. Yes. Um, Chris Mannix uh, with with SI, he was the one who wrote the profile, and this was actually naughty. I don't think it was in the story. He tweeted at the time. Favorite of many anecdotes from Giannis Antetokounmpo reporting, early in the season, Giannis took a cab to Western Union to send money home. After sending all the money he could to Greece, he realized he didn't have enough left for cab fare. It was game day, so he started running. He got about a mile before a couple stopped, asked him if he was a Bucks rookie. He said yes. They picked him up and dropped him off at the arena. Um, at the time... And this is, you know, this includes myself. And I think like pretty much like I just I I don't think I even like really thought about this interaction as much as I should have or this experience. Uh, But at the time, it was very much considered like, oh, my God. Yeah, it's just so random. He's just so random. Like, you know, um, can you give us a little bit of insight into what that was like for Giannis? Yeah, so I really enjoyed my interview with the woman who um, was driving the car. Her name is Jane. And, and you found her. I found Jane, and she's lovely. And um, her name's Jane Gallup. And um, so basically, Jane has been a Bucks fan all her life. Jane's son loved the Bucks, and that was the one thing that brought them together. So Jane, I think she was going to Gloriosos in Milwaukee and she stops and she sees this like very tall figure coming down the street. And she's wondering why he has a windbreaker on in Milwaukee and is like, what the heck? I bet he's cold. And then, um, she's like, Oh my God, it's Giannis. And then they decide to like, he's running, you know, he needs to go somewhere. And Giannis just says, can you take me to the Bradley center? Like, as if she, you know, Jane is a taxi, Jane is not a taxi. And, um, I believe it's a Honda. I have the exact car in the book, but I'm, it's slipping my mind, but it's a very uh, petite car. She has him 
stuffed into the back seat. It's deeply uncomfortable. I know it's a very feel good story, but it's actually like deeply weird and uncomfortable. And like, this would never happen in LA. And this is another reason why I love Milwaukee um, as an adopted chronicler of the city. Um, And so he's just like barely fitting in. He looks nervous. They're not really talking to each other. It's the most awkward thing. And then Jane is just thinking like maternal instincts. He looks so cold. And she's wondering why he doesn't own a heavier jacket. And all he has is this like windbreaker. And she she's like so nervous because it's Giannis. And she happens to be a fan that she's kicking herself for not saying, let's stop and get you a jacket, you know, because it's also you don't want to be like so paternalistic. Like, can I take care of you? You know, the whole thing is right. Just yeah. Imagine us rolling up. You're just not waking LA. up that day thinking. You know? Yeah. Like we're and then we just. And and a guy on the Lakers is like on the corner and you're like, hey, come in the car. Like, this is just all improbable. And so anyways, um, they get out of the car and they hug, which is really cute. And then uh, he signs his autograph in both Greek and English. Mm. And then John Hammond gets there and he's furious and he's like, don't get in the car with strangers. Like, if you need a ride, you call me. And I just feel like, again, it's this like, familial environment you know um and I should say the reason why Giannis was running is because he sent all his money to his family at the western credit union nearby well and to be fair to Jane even if she had offered to get him a coat I don't know that he would have accepted it if he's sending all his money to his family and I know you've you've told the story Miriam too about how he was saving his per diems to mail to his family that's just a that's just a totally different circumstance from what a lot of guys in the NBA are dealing with Yeah, like he, um, a PlayStation was like the thing that he had wanted a lot in childhood and they couldn't afford at times. And it it was always suppressing want for need and learning the difference between the two. And so by the time he gets to Milwaukee, he, uh, he sees a PlayStation and on impulse, he buys it. And then he berates himself for this rash decision. And he's just like, you shouldn't have spent that much money. That's a really expensive purchase. Why did you do that? How could you do that? How could you be living so frivolously when people at home are suffering? And he returned the PlayStation the next morning. Wow. We're all just doing the puppy dog face for our listeners. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, just so you guys know. Um, Has he gotten to a place... Like that that's a process, right? Um, I think that like one of the most jarring things, at least like, you know, from just talking to people around me, I was born in Canada, but just moving from 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 a foreign place and just not having a lot is just it's jarring just how many things there are. There's there's a lot of actually Ronnie Chang does a really great stand up bit on this. Just everyone should go watch it. Just about how America has too much stuff. And like this goes for like pretty much the entire Western world. Um, but like there is there's that guilt. Right. Um, but now, you know, he's in a different position in his life right now and his family's settled and stuff like has he been able to I don't know if you guys talked about this or like even got 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 down this road but like was he has he been able to like just be more comfortable with like you know I it's okay for me to want this I can do some things for myself here yeah so it's it has been a process it's been a slower process um you know he didn't fly and purchase first class seats until that first deal in 2016 to 17 when he got that extension so imagine Giannis just not wanting to pay for 
first class or even just the comfort of additional seats because to accommodate his body. That's how hesitant he is to spend money. Um, as, as someone who is seven inches shorter than Giannis, I cannot articulate <laughs> to you the insanity of that idea. Like, I'm already about to murder anyone who reclines in the seat in front of me. Imagine Giannis folding himself into a <laughs> right. coach seat. Exactly. No, exactly, Rob. And um, also, ni- nice uh, just getting in that you're over six feet tall there, Rob. We did. I'm just sneaking that. in. Th- okay, you know, this Rob. Is- <laughs> hey, Rob. Um, my. <laughs> okay, while we're at it, I'm five feet, everyone. Um, okay, that's not a flex because I, everyone thinks I'm an intern, and so that's unfortunate when I go into locker rooms. But um, yes, uh, with Giannis, one of my favorite quotes from my interview with him when I was reporting the story for Bleacher Report, which this uh, book was born out of, he said, I didn't have a choice. I had to be motivated. I didn't grow up with all the money. Alex, his youngest brother, is growing up in a completely different financial situation. He has all the shoes he wants. He has the economic privilege. He went to private schools. So Giannis became very conscious of the way that his upbringing was so different from the way his youngest brother is now living in America. And so Giannis constantly reminds him just because your bank account changes doesn't mean you need to change. And so he becomes, you know, of course, like more accepting of spending money, not, not to the, I guess, part where, you know, he was afraid to buy a PlayStation, but again, he never became frivolous with it. You know, he's always very smart about it. And even though he knows he will have generation, generational wealth forever um, with his family members, he's not going to go crazy because he's still the same person, but you're right, Sarah, like it is an adjustment and it happens for a lot of people that suddenly make a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and Giannis was the one player I found out who requested to not do direct deposit that rookie year because he needed to hold the money in his hand and feel it to trust that it would be there um, because he was so used to feeling anxiety about it. Wow. I do love to, in this excerpt that we ran on the ringers, uh, Mirren, just all the different ways in which Giannis's experience is distilled down for his brothers. Like you just said, just the idea that Alex would have things that he couldn't have that, you know, in he's taking a certain kind of, a certain kind of coaching we'll say from Jason Kidd in terms of some of the mind games and stuff that were being played. And yet when he coaches Alex up, it's all about being free, being yourself, settling in, being comfortable, things that he was not necessarily hearing. And I love too, how you noted that, you know, he's taking all these notes in this black notebook he's carrying around, not just for how to improve his game, but like things he can teach his brothers. There's just there's just something so incredible about that kind of generational knowledge that's being formed throughout the Antetokounmpo's and, and their immigration to America. Oh, yeah. And, and it goes so much beyond the notebook, too. Giannis, imagine the schedule of an NBA player. You barely have time to eat. Giannis made sure, even during the NBA season, to coach Alex's high school team. So there was one practice. This is one of my favorite anecdotes from the book. There was one practice where Giannis came to um, Dominican's gym, which is the high school name. And he's not just like chilling in the stands. He's like, you go there. I I need you to get better at this, blah, blah, blah. He's talking to all the players. He's talking to the kids that never get off the bench. And they're like, "Um, Giannis, you know, I don't play right. And Giannis is like trying to get everybody right. And then players are being like super lackadaisical and Giannis just like stops everyone. And 
around this time, Eric Bledsoe had just signed a big deal and extension. And Giannis is like, do you guys think that Eric is satisfied now that he has got all this money and all this success? No, he's in the gym working. And then, you know, he keeps asking them rhetorical questions. Do you think we're better than Philly? Like, do you think that we can beat these teams? And the Bucks low-key could, because at the time they were number one seed if playoff pairings had been determined. But his point was never stop working. Don't be complacent. And the fact that he cared enough to share this wisdom at his baby brother's practice and um, was just as passionate, I would say, if not more than the players there, really says volumes about the kind of role model Giannis aspires to be in his brother's lives as more than just a brother, but somebody who's actively presently there. He's like, he's got the, uh, it's like he's trying to come up with a blueprint that he never had, really. Yeah, and a blueprint that is so simple in a way. We're taught as young athletes, work hard, be a good teammate, don't complain, and just show up. And it's like, it's not the sexiest thing in the world, but that's what Giannis does. And he transforms his game, his body, his brother's games, and their bodies into champions. Like the blueprint is really simple. I know that sounds great. It's just, it's really simple. And maybe that's why people don't talk about it with Giannis as much because what work ethic is boring. I think work ethic is fascinating. Um, but yeah, maybe that's why Giannis is so undercovered. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think we're obviously going to get to a place where he's, he's not as undercovered or maybe after your book comes out, everyone's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> can't really can't write about Giannis for a while now um but it is it is interesting I think the I think the reasons that and this is what I love about your work in general too um like the reasons that people are motivated to work that hard are very interesting at the end of the day the process for the most successful people is generally going to be the same um but it's more about like how do you actually will yourself to do that every single day um and I think we are all kind of starting to get a glimpse of of understanding that about Giannis. Uh, before we close out, I want to get both of your guys' favorite Giannis post-game podium quotes. He is like, he's actually like a Greek philosopher at this point. He's like, <laughs> he's like, he's I think better. he'd be a great writer. He'd be he, a great writer. Oh, he would be. He would be an exceptional writer. He'd don't give him any ideas. Writer, we yeah. don't need the competition. No, Come on. No, we don't. No, we're yeah. all gonna. We're all gonna lose our jobs. It's fine. <laughs> we, don't, we don't. Although I wonder. I wonder if Giannis also just like would. Like, would Giannis be like the type of person who finds there's like something frivolous about stories? I feel like he could be like that. You know what I mean? I think. Rob, you go ahead. I'm formulating. <laughs> you, you, really th- you really think Giannis is above like crunching some Netflix? <laughs> no, no, no. But I mean about, you know, just actually wanting to dig into in, into something like that, to want to tell stories. Look, he's a good listener. That's what makes a great reporter. He'd be an excellent reporter. You know, his friendship with Kobe, he's technically interviewed Kobe numerous times. It's not an interview necessarily. It's just... He just wants advice from people, you know. I, I think he, I think he'd be a fantastic reporter because Wait, he doesn't find Kobe himself. Tell us non-interview. Yeah. So, um, okay. So this would have been Kobe's farewell tour season. The year is slipping, but uh, Jason Kidd makes Giannis point guard like officially 
um, for a string of games. And it's the first string of triple doubles Giannis has in his career. And one of those is over Kobe. And after the game, um, Jason Kidd sets up a private meeting between Kobe and Giannis. And the two of Giannis is, first of all, he's just like, I can't believe it. Like I'm in a room with Kobe Bryant. You know, he doesn't try to play it cool. Like a lot of people like, oh yeah, I was with LeBron. You know, he's just like, oh my God. Like, like Rob, this is like if Wright Thompson and I like hung out, I would be like, dying um and so that's what it's like with Kobe Bryant and so Giannis is dying and Kobe's just like you have to get in the gym every day and work on your shot you have to be relentless you have to be a killer you have to be curious um and so Giannis is practically like squealing after the meeting he's just going around the locker room Kobe said this Kobe said this I gotta do this and you know it's it's such a refreshing excitement because he has such a reverence for those that have come before him how did that develop? Because like like we were talking about earlier, it's not like he was, you know, a big NBA fan growing up. And what well, kind of players does he like? Like, who does he kind of gravitate towards? Right. So when Giannis was growing up, this was this was super funny. So he starts getting good. And then somebody on the sh- on the playground that they're playing at says like, wow, you're really good. You're like Dr. J. And then Giannis and his brothers look at each other like, oh, OK, yeah, they just nod. And then they they just looking at each other after like, who's Dr. J? And then they like Google Dr. J because they would get a couple euros and go to the Internet cafes and Google these people. And they started going on YouTube. Um, they would pay for like an hour. Um, it was hard, obviously, to get money, but they would spend whatever they could on, you know, an hour's time looking at YouTube clips. And they discovered Blake Griffin, um, which is just like fascinating to me. First of all, we don't appreciate the fact that Giannis grew up watching Blake Griffin. Giannis grew up watching LeBron like he is clearly the next generation. And I've lost all track of time, but that is so undercovered, I think. But um, anyways, he becomes enamored with Allen Iverson to the point where he asks their mom, Veronica, to braid his hair so he can look like Allen Iverson with the cornrows. Um, and yeah, so they're enamored. And Did, then, she? And then just, Did she do it? Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then <laughs> so she's like, really? And then he's like, yes, no, I'm serious. And so they, she does it. Um, and then he becomes enamored with Kobe and he, he watches the Boston series um, against the Kevin Garnett and the Celtics and Paul Pierce. And, um, and then he discovers LeBron. So he, he's aware of these people. He would watch these motivational videos on YouTube that have a really like, I would say corny in my view, um, audio voice in the background of like, you know, we can do it put in your work sacrifice, you know, it's just like very melodic. And, um, I'm totally embarrassing myself so much this podcast. Um, and basically Giannis was just hooked and he would watch these players, but he didn't necessarily know more than that. You know, like when he gets to his first practice in Milwaukee, Larry Drew's like, you're guarding OJ Mayo. And Giannis is like, who is OJ Mayo? And OJ Mayo is like so insulted because he's OJ Mayo at that point, you know? So he doesn't, he, he has people that he's enamored by, like Kevin Durant was his number one favorite, but um, he didn't really know too many at that point. All right, let's do quotes. You know what? I, I really loved, I know people are going crazy over the, the humble one and the ego one and, and the tinkle one. I actually love how it wasn't necessarily what he said about the super team and I did it the hard way. It was how emphatic he was while he said it. It's easy to go somewhere and, Go and win a championship with somebody else. It's easy. I could go, I, I don't put anybody in the spot, but I could go to a super team 
and you know just do my part and win a championship, still one. But this is the hard way to do it, and this is the way I chose to do it, and we did it. You could like feel it, like like you could just feel him just. Oh, I did it, you know. Like I just I just felt this like secondhand determination. <laughs> through me. Um, and I just, talk your I shit, know, Giannis. Talk your shit. You know, I was just like, God, you can feel his passion through the TV screen. That's what I love about him. That's why he plays so hard. He he just I I yes, he's dominant 40 point games. We could name all the stats, but it's the passion, it's the fervor. I I that is what draws me in. I felt like it was something he had felt for a while and then didn't want to say. And then he started to say it and he was like, oh shit, I'm saying it. And then he was like, well, I guess <laughs> right. I, I guess if I'm going to say it, then I might as well just really say it. I'm kidding, but I'm right. not, which was awesome. The way he was just right. like, cause he always, he always says he's kidding, like always. Right. And then this was the first time that he said, well, actually I'm not. But that's <laughs> so what I'm, okay. that's what we've been talking about. It's like that humility <laughs> mixed with a little bit of that, like, you know, the mean streak. It's it's just, he's got both of them and you need both but of them. Ego, ego and confidence always exist together, right? Like, I think that's, that's, that's the thing that, um, I hate, I like, I hate the term ego management. Um, first of all, it's just not a very humanizing way to talk about people's feelings. <laughs> um, <laughs> like imagine if, imagine if it was called insecurity management, then how much of an Aww. asshole would you sound like? <laughs> like I mean, maybe uh, more accurate if we're being honest. No, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's just like yeah. your environment, but also like the thing about Giannis that's so inspiring is the fact that like everybody has these things, right? Like you're trying, you're trying to like... You're trying to have good motivations for what it is that you're doing, but we all have our shit that we want to let go of and escape and reinvent ourselves and all that stuff. Um, and he would have had all the reason in the world to to go and do that because he actually had like the the burden and the opportunity of being in a completely different place. Um, and he chose the opposite thing. Um, and I think that that just shows you how much genuine he, pride he has and who he is. And that's very hard to achieve. And that's something you got to balance and actually sometimes work for too. And your environment really matters in those situations as well. That's why I just think it's really weird when people say he's not relatable. I'm like, how? I could think of 20 different relatable things, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rob, what's your quote? Mine isn't a quote so much as a sound, which is after they won the championship, they're up there during the trophy presentation, and uh, Malika Andrews, the great Malika Andrews, told Giannis that the Antetokounmpo brothers are three of them are now NBA champions and he, the howl he let out in response to that <laughs> that pure jubilation in that moment that was incredible and you know we've been talking a lot about family and the importance of that to Giannis and what it means to him to not only bring his family here but to establish his brothers they all want to play together on the same team someday the fact that three of them are now champions and he got to have that moment and we got to share that with him I'll take that any day of the week. Awesome, Love it, Rob. Yeah, you should have gone Love first. It. You definitely killed that. You definitely yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to go with, uh, it was one of his, uh, his last quotes that he had before playing in game six. He was asked how he prepares for a game like this. You have to be in the present. And uh, once that present comes, you'll know what it takes to you know be successful. But right now you can't. We don't know what it's going to take. It might be a defensive stop. It might be Drew coming and saving the day again. You know, it might be Chris hitting 10 points. It might be me blocking a sh- like 
We don't know what's going to take, but I know that we have to be in the present. We have to enjoy it. We have to compete. For now, that's the three things I know. Once the game starts, every possession is going to be different, and we're going to figure out what it takes to win the game. And I thought it was just a really interesting take on the on the limits of preparation, I guess. Um, he talks about this a lot, where he just talks about how there's a certain point at which he just has to, as hard as he works, he has to let go and not think about basketball. And basketball can't be the biggest thing in the world. So he prepares, and then he doesn't try to figure out what is going to happen or how exactly. Like, it was actually, it was... It was an answer to a very like almost cliche question. He was just like, it was like, what do you need to do to beat the Suns, right? And he's like, you never know what you need to do until you're in the game, essentially. Mm -hmm. Like you can prepare for all these different scenarios. And I thought it was so interesting because like you, A, basketball is absolutely that type of sport. Like you kind of like you have to think about it a lot, but you can't think. Like, you absolutely cannot think. Otherwise, you're kind of screwed. Um, and especially for a player like Giannis, and it shows you, like, oh, that's how he that's how he managed to block Aiton on, on a lob or, like, you know, block Booker on a floater or th things, things that don't happen. And like, it's just, like, what people call, like, the pure instinct plays was, like, it was, like, a psychological version of that. And it kind of it, it kind of put together the Giannis pieces for me. So that's, that's what it is for me. Um, Rob, is there anything we can plug? TheRinger.com. The <laughs> wow, excerpt, company the, ex <laughs> the excerpt from Miran's book on TheRinger.com. Well, yes, obviously, obviously, but for for you, Rob. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> Look, come uh, stop by uh, the Ringer NBA show all week, not yeah. just on the answer days for group chat. Come hang with us. Uh, come hang with us earlier in the week too. But other than that, buy Miran's book. Be honest. The improbable rise of an NBA MVP. Please, Amazon, all bookstores, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I love it. I love it. Miriam. We gotta, we, we got to do interviews more often, guys. I should just have that ready to ready to go. <laughs> I kind of I kind of figured that you do. Like, did you have to practice? Uh, I'm sure I'm sure you've said it now enough times. But is that something you have to practice? Like naming all the places you can get it. You know, this is new for me. I'm usually like not doing a whole lot of audio, so I'm definitely just like a newbie and like trial by fire and practicing so yeah I I mean I try to um shout out the indie bookstore in whatever mm -hmm. city I'm talking to before the interview um I love my indie bookstore so mm -hmm. yeah I'm just here shouting out Amazon I'm hoping we can get a copy of your book on the rocket <laughs> yeah. that goes into space that's what I'm looking for <laughs> yeah. I hear there's life out <laughs> the, there I'm, the improbable okay rise that. of Jeff Bezos <laughs> Um, everyone, obviously, go buy Mirren's book. Um, read the excerpt uh, on theringer.com or click it at longform.com. I would I would recommend doing it that way. You can give two sites a click. Um, and <laughs> we all we all obviously need those. Uh, but yeah, buy 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 Mirren's book. Um, Skylight Books. If you live in LA, I know that's that's a spot for you. Um, if anybody is is if anybody is actually listening to this from Edmonton, buy it from Audrey's books. Rob, do you have a local bookstore that you'd like to shout out? Oh no, I'm against local bookstores. Strictly a Bezos <laughs> man. But if you do, if you do if you do want to be interviewed two twenty three, apparently you should email Miran. Get in the get in the paperback version for later. Get in the second edition. Oh, well, you know, I, I'm obviously you have to write. The, do, are you going to do extra reporting for the epilogue? Well, I'm like 
on a very long t- like thread trying to figure that out right now. I mean, mm. as as the run was going, people, you know, people on Twitter, I said I'm so bad at social media, but people are just so clever. You know, they have the the Kermit typing meme, like there's Mirren <laughs> writing the epilogue. And at first it was like funny because I was like, uh-huh, sure. No, I'm done with this book. I'm not gonna, you know, it's done, it's done. Like, yeah, I need a break. But you know, now I'm like, oh shoot, like I think I am writing something. Um, but to to be determined, we'll see. Yeah, as you're shipping a book, can we present you with more work to do, please? <laughs> like, excuse me, I need a break. <laughs> the memes, the memes spoke it into existence. <laughs> oh, the memes! The memes are just mm-hmm. flying. They're so good. Mir and Rob, thank you so much for joining. This was of extremely fun. So fun. Thank you, guys.